Hello and welcome to the Right For Your Life podcast. Here for the very first time on the 5x5 network. I am Ian Broom and... And I'm Donna Sorensen. Now that worked much better than it ever has done before. We've never got that right, so these are good signs. It's a good start. It's a good, And this is actually a good start to 2014 for us. It's our first podcast episode of the year. It is. We finished last year by telling people that we were going to be away for... Two weeks, I think I said. And, uh, yes, a little break. Yeah. Three months later, here we are, talking to you. Um, so sorry about that, uh, all those oh, uh, yeah. valuable listening hours that you've missed out on. Um, uh, please accept our deepest regret and apologies. Um, you've not really missed anything. We've been busy, not been doing any writing or thinking about it. So. Oh, know. yeah, yeah. Hey, hang on one second. How do you know I've not been doing any writing? It's just my assumption, really. Well, there you go. That's not. A- I hadn't been doing any writing until this morning. That's true, but I did some this morning. No, we've had a busy two or three months, haven't we? Yes, we have. Very so- busy, and a lot's been happening all over the place. It's been, yeah, very exciting. That's true. Um, so, do, we, do people care? I'm not sure people care, but let's do a very, let's do a very, very quick update. You've got twenty seconds to tell tell people what the hell's happened. What? Uh, and I'll try <laughs> and do the same. But I mean. I have to cast my mind back to when we stopped. We stopped before Christmas. Yeah, it was. It is, it's Christmas now. Imagine it's Christmas. You are in front of a fire. You're wearing baubles for earrings. I was up a mountain. Thoroughly, yes, unusual Christmas for me. Surrounded by Danish people, dancing around a Christmas tree, singing Danish Christmas carols that I didn't know. And really wishing that I could just sing Deck the Halls. Um, Would they have noticed yeah. if you had? No, and I could have pushed it, but I just thought, let's just get through this dancing around the Christmas tree bit as quickly as possible. And um, but did you understand what they were saying? Because you, you, you're fluent, you're, you're fluent Danish, if that's the. Correct. I am, but do you ever listen to really to the to the lyrics of Christmas carols and songs like that? Well, no, and nursery rhymes as well, of course. Because now I have children, I've I've actually started to actually listen to nursery rhymes, not kind of for pleasure, but just because it, I have I to. And um, I some of those, they're dark. Rockabye baby, man. That is the stuff of nightmares. It really is. It is, yeah. Um, so after that, I went skiing for the first time in since I was a teenager, and it was fantastic. It felt exhilarating to be out there again. And um, yes, then bang into the new year, really, really busy with my day writing job. That's been taking up a rather large amount of my, my time and thinking space. I got published in a new journal, which was very exciting. Had a, a new poem out there. Um, and yes, as you said, I've not done a lot of writing, but I just did some today. I actually took my first writing staycation. Where I took two days at home to try and get a bit of brain space and do some writing. And how did you find that? Because that's something that I've heard a lot of people doing uh, or heard have heard about a lot of people doing that. So the idea is obviously you have a writing retreat. People pay a fortune to go and live in a hut somewhere um, and and write and get rid of all the distractions. But a lot of people these days, you know, there's a recession on still, probably in some places. And, um, and so people are just having some days off work and instead of going on holiday, they just stay at home and get stuff done. Has that worked out? I think I'd struggle. I, yeah. I did struggle and I, you know it's it's my own fault Twitter is terrible I should just always stay away from Twitter whenever you've got a minute to write just do not even look at it um, and also I made a ridiculous mistake of trying a really complicated recipe one of my two days which ended up <laughs> taking about four hours 
I'd never, I had to do this stuff with chicken. I didn't even know people could do with chickens. What did you do with chickens? I jointed one. Why? Because the recipe told me to. It was all, it was all very, um, very good for my personal development, I'm sure. But it just took ages. And I was just standing in the kitchen just over that chicken thinking, oh, I should be writing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, aside of writing, which I'd hoped to do a bit of, I mainly wanted to just spend a little bit of time focusing on my book, which was published last year, had a baby directly afterwards. No, I didn't have a baby directly afterwards. I had my baby just before it. Um, oh <laughs> but... Yeah, I hadn't had a lot of time to think about my my poetry collection. So my staycation was also just to try to um, focus on that and, and do it a bit of justice. And, you know, I wanted to contact some literary festivals and see if I could arrange some um, readings and things like that. I did none of that. <laughs> but I did start thinking about doing it. So that's that's a step in the right direction, I guess. You made progress with poultry. I did. Have you ever taken a writing staycation? I have never taken a writing... Well, I suppose so, actually. Yeah, I suppose I did take about six weeks off work, um, unpaid, to write... To write yeah, six Angelica, weeks. And I was what? rubbish at it. I've said this before, but <laughs> I um, it was the same time that the uh, 2005 Ashes, which, which if you don't live in England or Australia or any cricket-playing nation... Um, it's the um, it's the it's kind of the most famous, most prestigious cricket match in the entire world, and um, it's based over about five weeks, which was roughly the same five weeks that I was supposed to be writing. So that was a disaster. Ah, yeah, I know. There's always something, though, eh? But still, you got your novel finished eventually. Eight years later, and that's not a joke. But I bet you did it like in five minutes here and there when you had like you know million other things going on, but you had to squeeze it in anyway. Not well, the time when you had to set aside to actually do it. Exactly. And that's interesting you should say that because later on in this podcast, when we actually start talking sense, we're going to be covering the idea of starting again. So lots of people worry about starting for the first time. So if you're writing, you think, well, how do I get started? How do I battle the battle the blank page? Um, but there is also a kind of another stage to that. If you've already written something or you've made progress with something, no matter what stage you're at with your writing, published, unpublished, self-published, whatever it might be, there is always a process of starting again. Not always. Some people maybe just write forever. But it's quite common, I think, for people to write something and then have a break for whatever reason. And then you have to go through that process of starting again. And it's something I've struggled with myself. And I've started developing techniques and tactics and, and, and kind of ways of working that have helped me make sure that I start again and get stuff done and one of those is actually just stop i've stopped trying to think about having an entire year i can't i can't start again until i have an entire year to do it because Mm, that's never going to happen so um so we'll be talking about that later on yes that's for sure um so and what are we going to do before that before that, we're going to go into because uh, we're jiggling things. That is a word, especially in Britain. We're going to jiggle a few things, and um, uh, the way that the podcast is going to work, uh, we, we're hoping to have some guests. We haven't got one now, but um, <laughs> <laughs> no one's really, no one really got back to us. So, oh, I, no, hang on a second. We've got <laughs> some very exciting guests lined up. They just don't know about it yet. We've got some. T- we've got some of the best guests that haven't been booked yet. We've got Salman awesome. Rushdie on in a couple of weeks. <laughs> we've got. We've got Martin Amos, he's coming on. We've got um, some dead authors, they're going to be on. None of these people... Dead Poets Society are coming on. We've got Robin Williams, who's going to be a guest. 
in the future. What's he doing these days, eh? Do you know, I think I th- actually think we've talked about him on the podcast before. How bizarre. Anyway, aside of the guests, we're going to be talking news, literary news, writing news. Well, news and just articles. So the first part of the uh, episode is going to be uh, just a couple of things that we take from uh, the internet usually, but you know what's going on in the industry uh, or a particular article that we've uh, we've liked. We're going to choose one each, and we're going to sort of talk about it and see where that conversation goes. Then we're going to have our main topic, and then we're going to have listeners' questions, as always, at the end of the show. Sounds ace balls. Indeed, I didn't give you my update. Shall I give you my quick update? Even though we're like, oh 10 yeah, I'm so t- I'm terribly sorry. It's because right. I know what you've been doing, but d- please do tell us all what have you been doing the last three months. Well, I managed to fillet a particularly prime piece of pork <laughs> when, when I should have been writing. Oh, that's congratulations! Not true. No, Thanks. there are some serious congratulations heading your way, aren't they? Some congratulations and. Terrifications. Oh no, that could be that could be terrific. When actually I meant terrified. It's a new word. Um, I won a book prize, which was good, and then um, and then I quit my job, which was also good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're both awesome things. Yeah, yeah, terrifying, especially the second one. Um, and uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm setting up my own copywriting business. I start this week. We're re- we're recording this on Sunday. I suspect we'll be publishing this. On Thursday, I have no idea what day it is for you listening, but um, um, but by the time you have, I will have, I will be a self-employed business owner, and it's it's very exciting, scary but exciting. So that happened. An independent wordsmith, indeed. But hopefully, it will inform. You know, we do often talk. We're both copywriters, so we we do obviously mostly the shows talk about things like creative writing and that type of thing or writing in general i suppose but you know it's interesting hopefully it will provide another interesting angle on the conversation totally making making your <clears throat> your living indeed um okay let's move on news 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 hang news. on a minute so can i just go back quickly to the book prize are you not even going to say what 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 it was or anything oh yeah. I, I, it like was drop um, it in there i well, it's very kind i i um it was um, a book prize. It was the Word of Mouth Award for Coventry, which is a small city, a small, absolutely war-ravaged, not anymore, um, war-ravaged town in a uh, city in, in the UK, right in the middle. Um, it's lots of concrete. Um, it got bombed a lot in the um, in the Second World War, so it's kind of been rebuilt in a concrete kind of way. Tangent! It, well, it's true. It's true. <laughs> It's a beautiful description of Coventry. You make it sound like a really tiny, concrete place. But I love it. It's a big place. (laughs) It's lovely. It's a cracking place, Coventry, because um, I did an event last year there uh, to promote the book, and obviously whoever bought it liked it because they decided to vote for me in the uh, Word of Mouth Award. So I'm going to a fancy do in uh, June to collect my prize, where I'm going to stand on tables and throw bottles of wine. In the bin, probably, just to be polite. And isn't getting a word-of-mouth award pretty awesome? Because it's all about people reading your book. That is the whole entire point <clears throat> of, of it all. Well, allow me to make what... Uh, what I should do here is go, yes, I am awesome, and uh, one word... No, no, but I, I, no it's not... It's just... Not no, about you. No, no, but I'm making a valid. No, but I'm saying that's what I should say. But it, but, but what is important to because right, okay. So the people, the books that I that the, the Ace Frangelica were up against included the Book Thief, the multi-million 
selling <laughs> the book thief. Alan Bennett, a book. Alan Bennett's latest book. Um, Rachel Joyce's book, The Pilgrimage of Harold Fry, and loads of other famous books. And then there was my book. And when I saw them all, I'd sort of laughed to myself and went, "Oh well, that was nice to be nominated." <laughs> and um, but what happened was. That, um, I, that I won, I suppose. But the interesting thing about that is uh, presumably the reason I won, I think, and this is where I become slightly more self-deprecating, but I think honest, and I think it's a, a good point. So, you know, people often say, uh, one of the common questions for writers just starting out is, should I build a platform? Should I bother having a blog? Should I bother having a podcast or a Twitter account? And I've always sort of said, um, you don't have to have all of those things, but why would you not have at least, you know, maybe a, a blog so you've got, like, a, an online home that you can tell people about your stuff and, you know, have something. Um, and obviously I've got something. I've got this podcast and, and, and the blog and stuff. Um, and that's the only reason, really, that I won the word-of-mouth thing. Probably because this wasn't... This is not the Booker Prize. I admit this. It's not the Pulitzer. I admit this. But what it is, is an award from a city that I happen to, do have talk, happen to have done a talk in, and the other authors were so famous, they weren't at the festival, they probably weren't onto their social media team asking them to tweet like crazy and encourage people to vote. Therefore, me, I, did do those things, and whoever very kindly voted via my Facebook or Twitter or the blog or whatever was enough to get me over the line and it means that I've won a book prize now and I can say that I've won a book prize but I'm Isn't it funny though that you say that it was it's the online aspect of all of this that, that made the difference whereas what you've really said there is that you were there in person with a lot of people that got this whole ball rolling in the first place it was the actual appearance at a literary event that made a difference yeah, in and engaging that, with people and I, well that's true so that's the first bit I think that goes for anyone so any writer any stage if you get yourself out there go to your local spoken word night and show your face show yourself show your work get yourself out there then yes that is step one because otherwise no one will notice the step two of that, basically, I am saying that it's because I've got some sort of online platform, but I am also saying that the people that I was up against didn't. But they have obviously they have a huge online platform. They have huge platforms because they're massive authors. But you know they didn't know about this award, I suspect, and they weren't actively campaigning to win it. Whereas you know I was trying to get as many people as I could to vote for it. And in I the end, I can say that I'm you know I can say that I'm a prize-winning author. I won't be saying that. That's not my new Twitter handle, but it is sort of Is it not on your new business card you're printing it? <laughs> no, it's not. Not yet, anyway. Oh. I haven't got the gold uh, lettering uh, arranged. <laughs> I've just thought, the book thief, that's a really odd selection of books. Some of them really old. How I know. Come? I don't know. I don't know. Bizarre. I don't know. Wow. Well, just, there you go. I've decided not to question it. <laughs> uh, it's all fab. <clears> that's great. And... Um, yeah, prize-winning author. Yeah, in Amazing. a way. So who's going to start, you or shall I start? With um, our article that we'd like to have a quick literary yeah. conflab about. Well, I've just talked for too long, so you go for it. Okay. Well, this is, we don't know what the other person is going to talk about here, do we? That's, that's going to be quite interesting. Um, obviously, a lot's been happening since we uh, last recorded. I wanted to chat about the Independent on Sunday, their decision, Katie Guest, the literary editor, um, to stop reviewing gender-specific books. This happened in the middle of March, you'll remember, Ian? I do remember. You uh, you wrote a blog piece about it on Very Meta. 
I did. In actual fact, it wasn't, well, it was about that, but it was also about a, a response to it that, that suggested that it was not a good idea to not review books that were gender specific, because if we stopped talking about it, then we wouldn't be highlighting the problem. That was my, that was my take on the situation, yes. Yes. And that's very interesting, because see, I, I just didn't agree with it. And I thought, well, there you go. That's an interesting way to start then, something that we really don't appear to agree on. Because um, I thought it was it was great that they did it. And it sparked a lot of discussion. And if there's one thing that people should avoid doing is reading the comments on, on articles. I don't know if you feel the same way, Ian. Um, it depends on which website, but generally speaking, yes. Oh, I, yeah. Reading the comments after the, the Independent on Sunday, they, they announced it, or Katie Guest specifically announced it. Oh, it just, yeah, gave me a bit of a tummy ache, really. People are... I mean, I experienced this as well in my day job, you know, having online presence and representing people online about the kind of comments that you get from from people. Um, it was very interesting. And I can see there's been a lot of discussion sparked from it. Um, the only thing I wanted to say was that I, I, I really feel that it's an important step because saying that if if you stop reviewing these books and if we don't see them in print then how will we have something to discuss which is wrong I kind of feel like it's a bit saying like like saying you know discrimination is wrong but we need to see it happening around us so that we can talk about it properly if you get what I mean oh I do get what you mean yeah so I, th I think that you know this is the first well I think a couple of publishers said as well Osborne amongst others said that they would would stop um packaging their books as blatantly uh, gender specific i.e. saying this is for boys or this is for girls I mean there are you know, a lot of books actually do that on the cover um, but you never know this could be a big thing that, that a lot of a lot of people get on board with there is a hashtag maybe people know about it let books be books and some very interesting discussions that's I I'm just think that it's, it's kind of it's great to see it being discussed I feel like I grew up in a world where I read absolutely anything I wanted and the books I picked out were were never something that was targeted towards a girl. I don't know whether I was a specific type of girl, but think about my favourite books. I don't know what your favourite books were as a kid, Ian. Um, Roald Dahl, I quite liked The Famous Five. Oh, yeah. Because I'm a cool adventurer type. <laughs> yeah, Roald Dahl, exactly. And that, that, that was an interesting case in point there with Matilda has been repackaged with an extremely pink cover. Um Roald Dahl was one of my big favourites. I always felt like it was just for absolutely everybody. I never felt like certain of his stories were to one gender. Well, they're not, and he, I think that's why he had such mass appeal. And 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 all of the uh, all of the sort of children were were incredible. You know, the, the children had all the power. I mean, they might not have had it at the start, but by the end, the children usually were quite powerful, boys or girls, yeah. in Roald Dahl's, Roald Dahl stories. I think they, they, it seems to be like they're packaging them now where if it has a, a, a girl in the lead, then it's going to be a pink cover because they're, that's, you know, they say boys are not going to be interested in that. Um, which is, you know, very, very sad thing. Lord of the Rings is my absolute favourite. I think if you were going to package that one way or the other, you would, I'm sure people would just whack a Lord of the Rings and adventure for boys on it. Probably. I mean, my, I... The bit that I 
quoted I wasn't when I was talking about this on my blog, which is now called Very Meta, by the way. I forgot that that happened as well. Um, so ianbroom.com slash blog is, you know, it's it's now called, the blog is called Very Meta. It's complicated, but it's um, it's there and I'm blogging. But the point, the, 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 the article that I quoted wasn't the one in The Independence. No. I, I quoted Kate Taylor, who was writing in The Globe and Mail, who was talking about The Independence decision not to review books that are targeted at one gender. And the bit that I quoted is the bit that I was, the bit that, and the bit that I was agreeing with was this. If you don't ever review, this, and they're referring to a specific book, which I don't know, but it could be any book, really. If you don't ever review the Thea Stilton series, a pink-covered spin-off from the successful Geronimo Stilton series about the adventures of a literary mouse, I like the sound of that, mm. uh, you never get to discuss why targeting the stories about the female character exclusively at girls is an offensively limiting move. So, yep. my that's, po- that's, exactly, that's exactly what I was saying, though. It's like saying... You know, we need to be able to see discrimination in order to say that it's wrong. Whereas if you could just, the way that I see it is that people choose to read books because they see reviews of them, they hear about them. If they're not hearing about the stupid cupcakes book for girls, then they're not going to go out and buy it. So there will be less and less of these books around and it'll be less and less likely that publishers will make those really, really extreme decisions to, to package books one way or another. And books will become more normal again like they always were that's the way i see it okay right the gloves are off Sorensen. <laughs> i think i think that you're thinking about parents who are middle class and read book reviews and perhaps buy their books in wardstones i think that the majority of people who buy books for their parents who don't not for their parents uh, the majority of uh, parents not the majority i think there's a large portion of parents buying books for their kids who absolutely don't read book reviews uh, and never would probably don't read books themselves what they do is they go they don't go to a bookshop they go to the local supermarket or they maybe they do shop online amazon perhaps who knows um, and they get them from bargain basement places and those are the books that are exclusively, not exclusively, but quite often exclusively um, targeted, usually at girls or boys. It's the whole, you know, the whole boys are like blue and 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 guns and sports, whereas girls like fairies, ponies, and rainbows. And that's, it's, that's I'm, I'm that, less that's concerned. Not- I'm less concerned about the good stuff. I'm more concerned about the absolute massive rubbish that's created that's aimed specifically at. Uh, well, primarily girls, or marketed at girls in a very cynical, horrible way. Well, I think it's it's a more subtle problem than that because those are the easily extreme books that you can just say, "Oh, that's ridiculous." But this is going right through all sorts of fiction, and you know, even with me as a writer, I've experienced it a little bit now as well in, in the, talking about adult books. You know, and when you say that this people reading newspapers or people reading reviews are one type of of reader or or parent buying books and people that go to the supermarkets buying books are another. I don't agree with that either. That's a bit like if you take Vogue, have you seen The Devil Wears Prada? It's okay Uh, to say if you have. I haven't. I haven't (laughs) seen it. I haven't seen it. Well, they, they make an interesting point there about the fact that, you know, people that are into fashion and doing working in vogue and things like that they are making the decisions that go right down into what just your average joe is going to pick off a supermarket shelf you know everybody is part of this whole chain all the way through it 
And I think that what happens in reviews and what happens in the publishing industry, the decisions that are made there, directly impacts the people who are publishing that crap. Yeah, but I'm saying I'm not saying give them a fair review. I'm, I'm well, obviously it is a fair review. I'm saying if there is a book that is is uh, that is, for example, exclusively targeting girls in its marketing, in its cover, in in the kind of the nonsense that goes with it, and it's and it's you know it's kind of gr- gratuitous and unnecessary, then mm. the review should say that should be part of the review. They should say this is horrendous. This is this should this don't buy this book. This book has been marketed in a way that is offensive and sexist and damaging to our nation or world's children. And then if a publisher is getting reviews like that all the time, they will probably stop, they're, they're likely to stop doing it. But don't you think a bad, a bad review is also publicity? And then they're getting page space for something which is not worth anything. I mean, people are fighting to to, to but, get reviews. But 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 I would say you've taken at the least you've taken responsibility. If if that's if that's if that's how it works out, then that's how it works out. I don't think it would be the case. I don't think if if everything was that was like that was reviewed in a bad way, then they would all start selling more. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, the resp- by not by not saying anything, there is an element of shirking the responsibility for saying that this is wrong. Well, I mean, I think that it's incredibly responsible to actually highlight this because Katie Guest, who's the literary editor of The Independent on Sunday, has actually said that this is not a new decision. This has been happening for at least five years where they have just taken this decision and now they're actually being explicit about it. Um, yeah, but it's, that, that's publicity now. So for those last five years, it's, she's not been on it. She or The Independent hasn't been every week saying, hey, by the way, we're still not doing this. No one's had any idea that they've... Well, maybe some people have noticed, but I bet not many people have, have, have noticed that they're not reviewing gender-targeted books. Now they have this big announcement. There is news. We're talking about it. In a couple mm-hmm. of weeks' time, no one's going to notice. They'll just go, oh, yeah, well... Who, <laughs> no one will notice. There isn't. There isn't an. Ong, there isn't an. Ong, there, whereas, if they reviewed one every week and said it was absolutely horrendous and it was wrong and it was damaging our children, then maybe the message then would actually get across, as opposed to there not being a message apart from over the period of one week, where people go on aren't, aren't the independent great for for not doing anything about that. Well, I think it's a shame that you think this is just one week that this is going to be interesting because I, I feel like it affects absolutely every aspect of life because books. They're linked in now. But, but I do. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not agreeing with the notion. No, no, no. That... I mean, I mean, in terms of the, that, you think it's going to lose steam, whereas you know, everybody that's read that, whatever they go on to do next, you know, what what will they take into the next decision making process that they make? You know, and this this goes right through to TV programs as well and spin offs, all sorts of media that kids are are being immersed in right now, and I don't know. I just think. I'm glad anyway. Well, I'm glad you're glad. <laughs> because, you know, I, I, I don't know whether I ever talked about the, when the process for, for my poetry book mm. cover. There were a few suggestions and one of mm. them, I was, it, it was very, I think, gender specific and I was really surprised by it. I felt it didn't represent my collection and I said that as well. But it was a very, very interesting thing to be presented with. Because I think it was just quite simply because I I was a woman. Do you think I've got less less um, authority to have this uh, have an, an opinion like this because I'm not not female? I'm not saying that to be funny. It's a genuine question. No, absolutely not. 
because this is an issue for boys as much as girls. That's when true. We're talking that's true. Books. I, I suppose so. And but but sometimes it does. I I am. I do feel conscious of. Like when I was writing that, I kind of. I didn't. I kind of sort of agree with it, but then I went on talking about how I dress my children. Yeah, <laughs> so, but I, so I think I, it's I tragic, conscious. and that's part of the problem. If you feel that you don't have a a say in it, because yeah. it, this is. It, exactly the thing you know I mean this is not this is not just we've talked about things being packaged for girls but equally so for boys I read a story uh, last week in America about a little boy who'd killed himself I mean he was was absolutely tragic because I think he had a my little my little pony bag or lunchbox that he was taking to school and he was bullied so relentlessly that he took his own life because they were saying that's something for girls you know you just think this is something that 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 not everybody will be aware of but that at some point will have touched their life or somebody that they know yeah i mean i, I guess the, i guess we agree entirely on everything apart from the fact that i think that by not talking about it by not reviewing these books um it's it's it would it would be better to review them and and and, and say explicitly say that this is wrong whereas you think the act of saying saying nothing and not reviewing them is actually a positive one because it doesn't give it the publicity is that right? yeah because if, if it's a decision across the board then it's you know it it will be a discouragement to for publishers to do it. I mean, think about all the books that are, are clamouring for for review space. You know, I mean, I know it myself. Imagine if if I would be disappointed if if really really crap books that was were given space specifically for that reason. I think that you know, it's not that every review should be good, but the book should have. Oh, it, there should be something to merit that book having that space, don't you think? That's true. You have to wonder what if the book is bad, then why is it being? Uh, I don't know. Why is it being reviewed anyway? Can I finish this segment by um, asking everyone to boycott Pritstick? Why? <laughs> um, it happens on March twenty eighth. I've got it right here in front of me. Um, I picked up on a tweet. Someone had found um, some Pritstick. It looks like it's in a shop. I'm not sure if it's in the US or somewhere else, but. Um, 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 you know, Pritt stick, the glue, the sort of sticky glue that you use to stick things to th- other things. Sticky glue is always the best kind. Here's a version of Pritt stick, which for all intents and purposes is the same as Pritt stick. It's just Pritt stick. But this one is pink. And, as in the packaging is pink, and the packaging also says, just for girls. And it says, colour color and glue in one. <laughs> well, there you go. Boycott Pritstick. Damn you, Pritstick. Go for you know bo- what I'm going to do with that Pritstick when I see it? N- no, what? <laughs> I'm just, no, I, though, I'm just going to walk past it and not buy it. Exactly. Now that's a boycott. Yeah. yeah. So what's your um, literary or writing type newsy article thing that you'd like to uh, to draw to our attention? Well, it's techno news, so some uh, five by five listeners. Oh, techno might be exactly might be uh, interested in this. Nice little segue. Nice to be on five by five with lots of other technical techno programs. Um, Dropbox is. I'm going to read the headline from TechCrunch, although I didn't. I didn't actually find out via TechCrunch. However, Dropbox acquiring social reading at Readmill for eight million dollars. Um. But I found out by a nice email from the people who run Readmill. Cause, um, right, I think you better say that headline again at uh, normal human speed. <clears throat> Dropbox 
Oh, no. <laughs> Dropbox, acquihiring social reading app, read mill for 8 million, no punctuation. Acquihiring? Yeah, I don't know what that means. I, I do know what it means. It means that they, they're buying it, but they're not actually going to do anything with it. They're just the people that made Readmail, the staff, they are going to go and work for Dropbox instead. So this is a tragedy on in many ways. So I don't know if you listeners, you use Readmail to uh, read stuff. I know that I don't, which is part of the problem. Because I love Readmill and it's fantastic and marvellous. It's a reading app um, for the iPad and iPhone. It's beautifully designed, far better than any other design, including Apple's iBooks, especially Apple's iBooks. And um, and it's great. The problem they have, they've always had, or the problem I've always had with Readmill is that you have you buy your books, your eBooks, somewhere else, and then you have to upload them to Readmill to your iPad. Now that doesn't sound hard, does it? it doesn't sound difficult. But when you bear in mind to do, to do it with a Kindle or the Kindle app for iPad um, or iPhone, you just go to Amazon, you go, bong, and it's there, right on your Kindle. And there's something about that that's always stopped me embracing Readmill in the way that I would have liked. The other, th- I know. The other thing about Readmill is that um, um, uh, that the, the is led to these problems that they've had to close down is that it was free. Bloody free! Why do why do these these startups who then you know get lots of money via venture capital and all that kind of thing, they then refuse to let their customers pay for anything, and then they go, oh, we're not making any money. And you go, well, all right, well, I'm sure there's enough of us. I'm sure. Look, come here. Look, I'm sure there's enough of us here who are happy to pay for a little bit of reading. If you're if you're you know if you do this that and the other, keep keep working hard, trying your best, we'll pay you. And they go, no, no, we need to needs to be free because we need more people. More people to read and people like things for free. And you know, no, how, no, do you know it's the, how do you know it's the end of it, of it as it currently <clears throat> exists? Oh, it's it's just, oh, it's just, it was just something that I picked up on in this email. It says, Remill story ends here. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Many challenges in the world of ebooks remain unsolved and we fail to create a sustainable platform for reading. For this, we're deeply sorry. We oh, can't, no, don't. That's really sad. Do, doesn't matter there. We've not paid for anything. Doesn't matter. We'll set up a company. We'll get lots of goodwill, do lots of nice things, have a customer base, build a relationship, close it down. Then we go, oh, we're very sorry about that. I'm not angry but at the remote guys. Million. Is that what you said? Oh, yeah, they've got $8 million and they get to work at Dropbox, which is good for them. <laughs> um, right. So that's that's my news, and it's relatively big news in various, in various spheres. Um, but it's interesting that I didn't use it, even though I loved it. Because, you know, all the books, all the books in the world's in digital format, you know, they're on Amazon, aren't they? And they're in other places, but come on, let's face it, they're all on Amazon. And um, and I think it goes to show also that the notion of ownership isn't that much of a problem anymore. People have obviously, um, uh, they own their e-books, but just the fact that a service like this can close down and basically you can export all your data to wherever you want to export it, it's all transient and transparent and not really real. You know, we don't really own these books. They're just files and things. They're not physical. We can't hold them. And you can just close a service down, export your transparent stuff and move off somewhere else. But it's a shame because you do invest time in these things. You invest, like, I mean, look at Google Reader closed down last year. It had a squillion people dependent on it. And it just, I mean, Google's a different kettle of fish. But, um, yeah, just you invest time and stuff and it just disappears. But important lessons that these things that we don't pay for, that we feel that we have the right to have whenever we want, that it's just not the case. 
I mean, mass, a great success story for the people that ran it. They did it and then they just got out of it with eight million whatever. I can't well, even remember. Well, this is this is the interesting thing because the way that, I mean, this is this post, this letter to users is called epilogue. You know, the epilogues usually, there's an element of, of, of you know, there's, there's, there's a story type connection in there and it's the way we're deeply sorry we consider this for a long time thank you for helping us to bring our reality into view but we'll we be on a caribbean island if you need us exactly so you it's you kind of it's a it's difficult i mean i'm a i work in we, we both work in communications and it's quite difficult to kind of try and be sincere but also happily be successful and there's nothing wrong with that but it is quite difficult when you're basically saying to everyone sorry this thing that you've loved and that we've we've sort of helped you know make and everything it's going now when we're rich but you know it's free so we've got no reason to complain whatsoever it's a tricky one it is a tricky one i mean are you seriously emotionally attached to particular um platforms or tools online that you couldn't bear to be without that you would have a little cry about if they went under or disappeared no, not really. I suppose not because usually they're replaced by something. But you know, something like yeah. Twitter is—it's not you're not in, you're, something like Twitter. We're not tied to Twitter, the platform. We're tied to the relationships and the way that we work on there, and the people that we've met on it. And if that was to disappear, there would be a low whole load of people that I have no real. I don't. You know, we're not quite on the email terms, <laughs> so it's you know there is there is person investment as opposed to time investment. Do you know how long we've been talking for? No, I've got no idea. We're not far away from forty minutes. That is amazing. I blame your chicken. <laughs> um, right. Well, there you go. Yeah. So Dropbox is uh, not Dropbox. Uh, Remail is uh, dead. Long live Remail. Finally, very small point on that. I almost applied for a job there about two years ago. There was a there was a job for a copywriter or a something something similar like that. And um, I sat down with my wife and said, "What do you think to Berlin?" And she said, "Sounds all right, but I'm not going to live there." And that's where it ended. I just had a, 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 an imaginary <clears throat> meeting in my head there, where you was you were actually working for them. You're sitting there, and you just put your hand up, and you just said, "Why don't we uh, try some advertising? See if we can get some money in." Yeah, well, not advertising. And then go, nah. Not, 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 not even not advertising. You just ask people to pay to use it anyway. We're off. We're off on a different tack. <laughs> well, should we just quickly? Well, I mean, yeah. Should we just quickly talk about um, how we've been getting back into the writing process? I mean, it's really, really brief on my side. So I could just say it's been very difficult, and um, actually, I haven't got back into it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is so for those of you listening for the first time. If you um, if you're uh, if you've just seen us pop up on uh, the Five by Five Network and you're looking for first class writing advice, there you go. First class writing advice, absolutely. But briefly about me, I write all day, every day for my job, and I've got a very little human um, who I'm responsible for at home, and um, I'm just doing it whenever I can snatch a spare minute. Like I said this morning, uh, luckily I write poetry, so it's I think it's a little bit easier to dip in and out of, but. Um, but yeah, so I'll just have to do more writing staycations of longer duration in the future, I think, and work less. I definitely think that this idea of, uh, as we said earlier, this idea of not waiting for the perfect time to write is really, really important. So let's just take, let's just, let's just, let's just go back to Stephen King and and every other writer that's ever lived. Let's go back to the adv- advice: um, just sit down and do it. 
So that is, if you can do that, then then do that. That's the end of the podcast episode. If you could, if you've got time to, if if you're if you're if you're feeling like you know the time is there, you just kind of oh I can't really be bothered. Well, just be bothered. Sit down and write. Do it every day. If there are other reasons you're finding it difficult to start again, like having a small human to look after, or in my case, two small humans to look after, or a new business to set up, or um, or maybe maybe you're maybe you're going through a difficult period in your life, or maybe you're going through a fantastic period in your life, and you've met someone new. Lots of reasons that you could that there could be for why you can't yes. start again very well. Yes, and um, in those cases, in those cases, do these things. So. Um, one of the things that I uh, suggest and I've talked about, uh, I wrote about a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, was sometimes if you're, if you, if you're writing, especially if you're writing something long, like a novel, but even a short story, even 3,000 words of short story, even if you want to start blogging on a regular basis, it can be very hard to visualise the finished article. So let's take a novel as an example, but it could, it could, be, it could be anything. It could be, um, I, I don't know, a, a dissertation. Let's say a novel, though, 60,000, 70,000 words. That's quite daunting. It's quite daunting to think I need to write something that I know is going to take me several years to write, potentially, or is going to take me several months to write, if, even if I go quickly. There is no immediate reward for it. You don't immediately... You don't You don't spend two hours um, at your desk, write something, and then get a, a wonderful prize from Coventry. It doesn't happen. There is a huge period where you have to carry on writing so that's mentally quite difficult to get your head around and I think it quite often stops people starting again and I've definitely suffered from this in the last uh, year or so since having children myself I've really struggled to not sit down in front of the computer and think oh my god I need to write a second novel it's really hard to get out of that mindset but what I should be doing and what I'm doing better at now and what I recommended in the past is this idea of chunking so it's extremely obvious, but it's the idea of um, uh, chunking in two ways. So first of all, chunking in terms of how much you want to achieve. So instead of thinking, oh, I've got an entire novel to write by next year, think, OK, well, I've got a chapter that I need to write by the end of the week. Um, now, here's where some people would say, in order to do that, you need to write, let's say, 300 words every day, which is a perfectly achievable task. But I know for a fact that I can't write every single day for child-related reasons and other things. So I can't just go with that kind of very simple solution of just write every day. But knowing that at some point, by the end of the week, I need to finish a chapter, because that's what I've said to myself, I can, in fact, plan and say, well, I'm free on that day, so I'm going to write roughly that amount that day. I can't do it then, so that's going to be nothing. And it's the idea of chunking your time and planning it into, um, into smaller quantities of work. Now, there's going to be a much larger context, obviously. You're going to, your chapter needs to fit in with all the other chapters. You can't kind of start afresh. So there is going to be some general planning and, and kind of wider knowledge of what you're doing required. But just getting out of your head, getting it out of your head that you have this huge project to write and just focusing on doing whatever it is that you need to do in maybe a week. So the second part of chunking is also about time, but it's actually time when you are specifically writing so I just said uh, two hours so let's say that's how long you've got you've been at work all day it's the evening and you've got two hours to write again then people do often think I need to write solidly for those two hours and if you for some reason get 20 minutes in and you think oh my god I'm, this is not happening but I, I've only got two hours so I need to stop my recommendation is stop 
only stop for about five minutes, but stop and just whatever's been preventing you from writing in those 20 minutes, allow it to go and go somewhere else and then come back to it five minutes later and go again. And in a kind of more pleasurable situation, those initial 20 minutes, you would have been extremely active and very busy working really hard. Um, and that's the way I wrote my novel. I wrote it in pockets of about, I don't know, 30 minutes where I would just be, I'd just get really focused and I would be very much in the zone for want of a better phrase. And then I would always feel like I had to come up for air, go and get a cup of tea, go and get something else. And, um, and that allowed me to start again. So that's the concept of chunking. Yeah. Also, because when you've written even just a little bit that you think is, is good, it's amazing what you can do after that. You probably just want to go back and, and do even more. Absolutely. Um, something which I have been doing, and this is from a poet's perspective, I've had a few poems that I've been working on. That I've just thought this, is, oh, I can't finish them or they're just not quite right. And um, I have started abandoning poems and thinking, I'm just going to come back to you later. I'm just going to keep keep coming with new ideas and producing new poems because some poems are just easier to write than others. And I feel like I'm looking around at the moment for something that's a bit easier to get into. Some of the more complicated ideas, I'm just going to shelve them and I'm going to come back to them when I feel a bit a bit wilder. Which ties in very nicely to what I was uh, about to say as my, as my next point, which is good. And that was it's similar, not quite the same, but it is the idea of having more than one thing on the go at once. Um, I've been saying this for years, but I'm current. Another point I'm going to make is stolen quite literally from uh, Austin Cleon, who I'm a big fan of. I've become a bigger fan of his in the last three months. He's written two books. One is called Still Like an Artist, which is fantastic. Show Your Work is his second book, and it's also very good. I've not finished it yet. Um, so I'll come back to that. But he also says um, um, that the idea of having two things on the go at once is positive. And he, he talks about... It having that second thing is what you, in inverted commas, can procast, pro, <laughs> procrastinate on. So yeah. instead of going, oh, I'm really struggling with this work, so I'm going to go on Twitter for 20 minutes, you go, oh, I'm really struggling with this, I'm really struggling to start again. Good job I've got this other equally valuable, interesting, exciting thing that I'm doing that exactly. I can spend time on. That's exactly what I've just realised. I just came up with that <clears throat> myself as well. I haven't written an amazing book about it, but I, I came up with it myself. <laughs> Did you come up with yourself just a few seconds after I said it? No, I said it before you said it. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, I've forgotten about it. <laughs> How dare you? Sorry, I'd completely forgotten that you'd said that. That's no problem. And so have you got any other last bits about um, about getting back into the writing Yes. Mood? So the last one is uh, this: the idea of Show Your Work, which is Austin Cleon's second book. It's the title of the book. And this is something else that I'm doing. I've only been doing it for uh, two weeks, but I've enjoyed it and it's been worth it. And you can you can do it in any way you want. Um, the idea of, of, of committing to not just doing something every day, but showing it to people. So I talked on the podcast, I think, last year about um, the idea of social accountability. So if you say you're going to do something in public, are you then more likely to actually do it? So if I say to everyone, I'm going to write, if I like on this podcast say, I'm going to write a, a thousand words on, um, on, uh, the, on wild geese next, by next week, I'm probably going to finish the podcast, publish it and go, oh, why did I say that thing about wild hmm. geese? I know nothing about wild geese. But the fact that I've said it means I'll probably, uh, it's a case of um, making yourself socially accountable, I guess what the way totally. I rephrased it. So the idea that show, um, show, show your work, uh, uh, there are lots of 
facets to it, but one of them is the idea of committing to doing something and committing to sharing your work. So I I, I thought I would try this, um, and I'm doing something called Index Card Shorts, indexcardshorts.tumblr.com, and I'm basically taking an index card every day, weekday. I'm not going crazy. I'm not doing the weekends as well. Um, and I'm just taking a marker pen and I'm writing more or less the first thing that comes into my head. None of them have taken me more than three minutes so far. But just sort of playing with words, see if I can come up with a, a story or a scene or an event or just something vaguely interesting that I write on an index card in big writing. And then I take a picture of it and I post it to my Tumblr site. And um, although this is no great work of art it is a part of starting again it is me saying okay i'm doing something writing related creative every day even if i have got two children to look after and i can't possibly sit down and write a chapter tonight i'm going to do this it's committing to something and then sharing it putting it out into the world and um and getting into the habit because that's what it all is really all this whole starting again business it's it should really be not starting again but getting back into the habit really because once you're in mm. the writing habit there's never a problem once you're kind of got some sort of rhythm going everything's fine but it's it's when you step away and lose that rhythm getting back into it is very difficult so you know whatever immersion. it takes i feel for me like it's immersion into the writing for pleasure world as opposed to the writing for work world so it's all the same thing and it's good Good. I'm going to uh, put us under a bit of pressure. I think, in terms of social accountability, I think we should get Austin Klingon on as a guest. Well, there's no way in this world he <laughs> he is going to come on this show now. Because I called him Austin Klingon. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, listen, you know, you know, he's like a New York Times best-selling author. It's not like some some person I know from down the street. Yeah, I know, and that's why I said it was outrageous. Maybe he's going to put us under pressure. Maybe he'll like no, it. No, no. Yeah, but I thought the thing that was going to put us under pressure was the fact that we were inviting him on, not the fact that we were going to insult him as well beforehand. <laughs> it's a great honour to be called uh, a Klingon, isn't it? And now, and now, let's assume that he doesn't listen to this episode, which, you know, I think that's fair to assume. Let's say he does agree to come on. Not just us, but our entire audience are going to be aware of us having said this. So for the entire episode, they're going to be thinking that... They're going to be giggling and going, it's Austin Klingon, they got him. Unbelievable. <laughs> I was, he's one of those people I was like, you know, sometimes you see people on the internet and you think, I wonder if I can one day make him my friend in real life. Yeah. He was one of those people until now. Oh, don't. I think he's going he's gonna to warm to He's probably been waiting to be called that his whole life. I'm sure he's never heard it, not even once. Yeah, I bet. He's called him that. I bet, I bet no one's ever mentioned it. <laughs> Anywho, what a what a lovely way to end, just with an insulting um, a stranger. one of your heroes, by all accounts. Oh, yeah. Um, well, we've, we've got listeners, listeners' questions. Very quick listeners' questions. Have you got the, have you got got the xylophone? for that, even. Yeah, well, let's do it. Have you got the xylophone? Oh, no, it's on the other side of the room. Go get it. I didn't uh, think we had time for it. You go get I'm it. I'm going to do talk. a lot of banging to go and get that. Fine. It's not. It's not that much banging. I mean, it's almost. It's almost pure silence. Oh, I don't think it's been tuned or anything. Okay, here we go. You ready? Yeah. question. I talked over the start. I. Yeah, I thought. I thought you were waiting for me to say yes. So uh, go <laughs> do, it, do it again. Not doing that again. Do it again. Come on, you can do it again. Listeners' question. Totally different every time. So, listeners' Wait, questions. Um, we don't have any. 
the end. It's the first episode back. Of course, we don't have any listeners' questions. So, if anyone has a listeners' question for us for next week, get in touch via Twitter at Ian Broom or at the Flying Poets. That's the best way. If you've got a writing-related question, we'll talk about. You can do what I'm quickly going to do, which is what I did beforehand, and I realised that we hadn't got any. Listeners' questions was I went into Twitter. I went into a Twitter search and I searched for writing question. And here we have some writing. This is what comes up when you type in writing question. Here we go. It says honest question. Do you think of your writing in terms of individual individ scenes, whether or not you plot them out? Boggles mind. I just <laughs> dot 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 write. <laughs> individual scenes. Yeah. Like as if it was a play, like a, a, a script. Do you think of your writing in terms of individual scenes, whether or not you plot them out? I, that's that's not a question. That's someone having a nervous breakdown. Oh, but I mean, you know, if you if you get if you dig beneath the the surface of that, it's it's an interesting question, isn't it? Like when something is happening in a particular chapter, is that do you imagine that scene separately to everything else, or you probably don't? Do you just see it as big part of it, everything else? Uh, yes. <laughs> Here's another one by someone called. Ajengdui Mega Sari TM. So that's trademarked. He's trademarked his name, or that's a corporation of some sort. And here's the tweet Online or like writing essay question for asking. <laughs> I don't think that's. This is good material, all of this stuff. I don't, I don't think that's. Uh... Here's one Writing a plan for a 4,000 word essay the night before you meant to hand it in. Strong. Damn me for messing up the question set. That's not a question. No, that's just someone else who's having problems in their life. But I think the first one was a question. Here's another I think one. you're a little bit hard on them. It didn't make any sense. I've spent about fi- I've spent about five hours writing my Spanish oral question, and I've only done four questions. Ha ha ha. <laughs> well, as everybody can hear, we are desperately in need of some serious uh, listeners' questions next for next time. Oh, so here's so, someone who's who's no, sent, here's someone who's sent a tweet to uh, Ryan Philippe. That's the film star. Is that right? Yes, yes. Ryan Philippe. Attractive? Is that the right man? Um, no, about? actually, because of his terrible accent in Gosford Park. Okay. So someone's uh, sent him a message on Twitter. Ryan! Exclamation mark. Always a good way to introduce yourself to someone, especially in person. I would like to ask you a question about a book I'm writing. Can I email you or your agent? <laughs> I don't think he's got back to her. You never know. Okay, so we haven't got any listeners' questions, but you can um, send them to us at the following contact details. Where can people find you on the internet? Well, you already told them, at The Flying Poet. It's brilliant. That's on Twitter. And I also have a website, sorensenpoetry.com. Marvellous. And I'm Ian Broom, at Ian Broom, I-A-I-N-B-O-O-M-E. And you can find the blog, uh, my blog, <laughs> which is called now called Very Meta, ianbroom.com forward slash blog. And of course, you can now find us on the 5x5 site where you can get all the show notes. And I do believe that the URL for that is going to be 5x5.tv slash WFYL slash. And for this episode, 107. This is episode 107. I think so. Coming to a close. Indeed. Farewell. Farewell. See you next time. Thank you very much.